0: And welcome to the show. This upload is coming to you March 29th, 2017, and you're listening to the Post Money Plan Podcast, where we believe empowerment comes through knowledge. Last week, we began a two-part discussion with Sandy Leeds, a distinguished senior lecturer at the University of Texas at Austin, addressing the topic of student debt. Last week, we covered some of the theories behind the growing student debt load and why student debt is such a looming problem. So if you missed that, be sure to go back and catch that one. This week, we'll be picking up where we left off and talk about what we all can do about student debt on an individual and societal level. Welcome to the show, Sandy. Well, thanks, Dallas. Could you just introduce yourself for the audience? Sure. So, as you said, I teach at the University of
1: Texas. I've been here for this is the end of my 16th year. I teach mostly MBAs and MSFs, but also starting to teach a fair amount of undergraduates as well. Before this, I was a lawyer and a money manager.
0: Okay. So I'll go ahead and jump right back into it. What should we be doing about student debt?
1: You know, the answer is this is one of these many problems that I think this is going to be so hard to solve because it's not like tuition's coming down anytime soon. I think first of all what we need is we need to increase financial literacy and we need to do a better job for people at a young age and also their parents who don't have for the parents who don't have experience making these decisions, they need to understand the numbers. And there are so many distinctions because, again, people sort of think, oh, college, college is good. Well, here's the way I look at it. If one of my kids gets into Stanford and that's going to cost me room and board with tuition, let's say 70, 75 grand a year after tax dollars, I'll be honest, I'm going to pay that. I will pay that because that Stanford degree i believe will really help them in the future and i think that for my family not maybe for me personally but for my family as a whole that's a positive npb project just meaning the benefits are going to outweigh the cost but if they find some really nice seventy thousand dollar school that is really posh but
0: as far as its academic ranking is really low i'm not paying 70 grand And you might think, well, do those
1: exist? And the answer is, yeah, they do exist. And so for me, I think you have to have that ability to look. The data has to be available. The data has to be taught. Same thing with degrees. And I hate saying this because we need a well-rounded society. We want, well, maybe not all society wants this, but we want the arts. We want theater to exist, that kind of thing. And the reality is, for most people, those are going to be low-paying jobs and so we've got to find a way that we're not paying 50 60 grand a year to get a degree that may pay 30 grand a year those numbers don't work out but also we have to make sure that people understand the decision they're making in real time not after the fact of wow i guess i shouldn't have done that we need to make students more prepared for college When you get to college and you start taking on that debt, if you don't finish, that is the biggest disaster ever. And so we've got to make sure you're ready. Part of that is the studies show that what's most important is early childhood education, that this is where it all starts. And I'll tell you sort of funny thing. I always found it funny, now I've got three kids, and, and I heard of a lot of people who would put their kids in private schools for the early years, and then they'd put them in public school. Obviously, if people put their kids in private school, they clearly must think that this is worth it, that they're getting some extra value. But I thought it was interesting. It's like, well, why would you do that for the early years? You know, I just think of the later years as more important. But the reality is that they're probably right that this is where all the difference is, that if you have a few years, you're gonna pay for the best education you can get. It probably is the early years, and that's hard. We need to educate people more about other career options. College isn't for everyone. We talk about it like everyone should go. Not everyone should go, right? And there are plenty of good jobs that you can get, plenty of things that you can do, but you don't want to do two years of college and then do that. And for a lot of people, it's not a four-year college that's valuable. And I think that it's a lot of these two-year schools that are doing the most innovative things as far as partnering with local businesses to say, okay, these are the skills you need. We can teach them. And I think that we need to further that. I think that schools need to be responsible. Schools need to tell students, look, this is the outcome that we typically see. I was just reading an article this week about this issue with PhD programs and subjects like English. There are so many students, so many people coming out with a PhD in English, so there's an oversupply for these jobs and ultimately that means wages are really low and people are spending a lot of years and a lot of money getting these degrees. I think we need to tell people, like, we can't just sell and build goods and say, look, it's all going to be great. Everyone's going to be calling you doctor. We've got to tell people what it really is. And the reality is that for those schools that aren't responsible, then we need to do something about it. And I know a lot of people say, oh, regulation is bad. Well, too much regulation can be bad, but people doing bad things to other people and harming the weak, that's really bad, too. And so when you hear about these people, and I tell you, not only the poor, but another group that I see get victimized in all different
0: ways is the military. You have these people who are protecting us,
1: who are giving up so much, oftentimes being far away from their families, and we don't protect them in so many ways. We don't protect them from these predators that go onto bases and try to sell them financial products that are way too expensive. And we don't protect them from these for-profit schools and other places that are not really benefiting them. They're just taking on money. And, of course, some of the money is just other government programs. But some of these are veterans that are getting into more debt themselves. And my point is, people don't like regulation, well, I don't like people who do bad things. And ultimately... We have to control that. You look at some of the regulations we have that basically say, look, if you're not placing people, or more realistically what they say is, if a lot of your graduates aren't paying back debt, there's something wrong, and you're not gonna be able to qualify for federal loans. Well, what's wrong with that? What is the argument against that? People say, well, look, these for-profit schools, what they're doing is they're making college available for people who wouldn't go otherwise. Well, you know what? If all it's doing is leading to financial hardship, then we're not doing them any favors, right? I mean, that's absurd. Obviously, I get angry about this, but I get angry about seeing people victimized,
0: and I think that's a lot of what you're seeing. And so we need to think about how we're making
1: these loans, right? We need to think about advising people in very plain, simple English. Do you understand that this is what certain careers pay and that this is what your paycheck would look like and this is what your bills would look like, including this student debt bill? It's very rare that we just give loans to people with no credit history and no income. I, when I was talking about the subprime crisis a lot in 2008, 2009, I was just talking about all the different types of loans that people were getting for houses. And There's a type of loan called a ninja loan for people with no income, no job, no assets. And I used to always joke in that presentation, we used to refer to that as student debt or <laughs> student debt, right? But I mean, by and large, other than sort of the crazy housing bubble. We don't loan to people that way, right? I mean, that's what we're doing with student debt. You have no income, you've got no job, you've got no assets, and we're just trusting you to sort of go complete college and get a job that will pay off. And the reality is that's a difficult one to solve because you go in, you could start as an engineering major and then switch to something that's very low-paying, or you could just go and party all through college and not graduate. So it's very hard for us to do anything about that, but it is a problem. And so that's not much of how we can fix this other than to say, I think there are some obvious things. And that is, I think we need to make sure that these schools are delivering what they promise, just meaning that they're educating you, you're completing your schooling, and you're able to service your debt. And if they're not, then I don't know why we want to give federal money to them because that's just taxpayer money that's being wasted or really just being siphoned off for corporate profits for some people who are endorsing a business
0: model that is victimizing people. Do you think that big data with things like school placement statistics and then things like Glassdoor making salaries more transparent and things like that and knowing what majors end up with what jobs and salaries will help match I that think, gap? I think it
1: certainly can help. I think that a lot of this data is actually still hard to get, meaning so much of it is self-reported. So, you know, you'll have plenty of students who will get jobs and won't report things. And you have students who don't get jobs and also don't report things because they're embarrassed. So even with big data, we still need to have data to access. And we've even seen plenty of examples of schools that have reported false information in different ways. We've even seen schools that help students pay their loans for the early years so that they will look like they're being paid back. When there's money at stake, people will find a way to game a system. But yes, certainly more information is better, and most people are doing the honest thing, and most schools are reporting accurate numbers, and I think if people truly understand them, it's something that would help, but it's like everything. When you're buying a car, when you're buying an education, when you're getting married, when you're doing anything, people make decisions at that point only thinking about
0: the good that can happen. And they don't think about the fact that this car, I'm going to
1: have to keep it up or the house, I'm going to have to pay for a lot more than just the house payment in order to maintain it. And that whatever percentage of marriages end in divorce, people don't think about that because that would never be me, right? I think people think the same thing with education. It's like, look, you're going to go to school and you're going to do really well.
0: Yeah, definitely seems to be the case. And like you said earlier, You're going to school, you're picking a school at the age of probably 17 a lot of times. It's a huge decision for your life and you're having to make it before you have gone out and experienced the world for yourself. So to me, even looking back, having had made that decision, that was a big decision to be making on what school you're going to go to, which is going to have a big impact on the rest of your life probably at such a young age before you've really experienced the world. Absolutely. And I think that what you see, what I see a lot of is I see these
1: MBA students who they were an engineer because they were good at math and then they come back and some employers sort of hold it against them. They're like, well, you're an engineer, so I don't really think that you'd be a good fit for this type of job. And it's like, yeah, I was 18 and I picked this school and this major. And now it's still something I can't get away from. It's like, really, you can't make a decision at 18 and change it when you're 25 or 26. And, you know, that's not everyone, but you certainly see some of that. It's really hard. You see certainly students who take a gap year in between high school and college, but again, who is that? That sort of tends to be higher income that it's like, look, you know, we can pay for our kid to have these great experience for a year and some go do service, some work a job, that kind of thing. But that's a great thing to do. I'll tell you a quick story that Before I went to law school, when I went to law school, I went straight after college. And I remember seeing that a lot of my classmates had been a paralegal for a little while before law school. And part of it was I went to the University of Virginia for law school. So it was hard to get into from out of state. So people would be a paralegal in D.C., live in Virginia, become a resident and get admitted to UVA for law school. But I remember thinking, wow, and this is a terrible thing to admit, but I was just thinking, I'm going to be a lawyer. I would never be a paralegal. And, (laughs) you know, that's embarrassing to say, right? That's just a terrible thing to say. But that was just an egotistical way that I certainly was. And I look at it after I was there, I realized those people who were paralegals knew what they were getting into. For me, I was just a total idiot. I had no idea what a lawyer was. I had no idea how to do research or anything like that. And the point is, Those people made a much better decision than I did, and it took me a long time to recover from that because I made this decision to go to law school. That was a terrible decision. Then what do I have to do? I have to go work at a law firm because that's where everyone goes. Well, I hated that. It was a miserable experience for me. And so the point is, I think that we need, you talk about these people at 18 making decisions. I was saying I was going to be a lawyer when I was five. Because my dad was a lawyer, right? And, <laughs> and believe it or not, at five, I hadn't really thought it out. You know? And so <laughs> the idea is you know, we are making these decisions at early ages, and they can haunt us. And I'll tell you, when I was in business school later on, people would say, well, you're a lawyer. I can't really see you working in a corporate finance department, and you're going to be bored here, and you'll sue us if you don't like it. And so it has consequences, and I lived through them.
0: Yeah. Back on your earlier point, I think, depending on how you think of a gap year, I think there is some merit to, out of finishing high school, working for a year or two before going to college. Just giving someone who's still barely an adult the time to experience the working world a little bit, see what that feels like on a full-time basis and maybe even find out a few things that they don't like, possibly. And then you're mentally and physically maturing a little bit further before you're having to make that decision. And even though that can seem like, oh, I'm falling behind, but if you end up skipping a decision that would cost you five years that you regret, I think that can pay off in the long run. I
1: think everything you just said is spot on. I mean, I think that you go work for a year, You realize what it's like to not make much money, which is what's going to happen with a high school degree and no college. And you'll appreciate school a lot more. You'll hopefully work harder. There's an old joke that education
0: is wasted on the young, but there's some truth to it that the older you are, the more you're going to appreciate it and get value from it. I've actually experienced that myself. I have a huge appetite for knowledge and education and learning now that I'm 30 years old that I just didn't have a decade ago yeah i always say like when
1: i got to law school and i was taking property law and they're talking about people suing each other i I would read these cases i'd say someone really sued someone else over that and you know i never bought a house or anything else and now it's like okay I, i understand those things a lot better and so yeah i think it's a great thing to do to get yourself ready for school the other thing you mentioned too that i think is just spot on is just this whole idea of I'm going to fall behind if I start college later than everyone else. And I certainly thought that the idea of being a paralegal and what I'm going to start law school at 24 rather than 22, God forbid, right? Now that I'm 52, I sort of say my career started when I was 37. When I was 37, I got to UT, to the University of Texas to start teaching. And that's really been the start of my career. I was a lawyer. I managed money. I did those kinds of things. But at the end of the day, I think your career really starts when you find what it is you really want to do and you're passionate about it. And you can just sort of go deeper and deeper into that field. And I think that the last thing I worry about, with my kids is thinking, oh, they've got to start their career at 22 rather than 26 or 28. I I remember my dad saying to me, one of his reasons to go to law school was he said, go to law school, you can do whatever you want afterwards. But basically what he said was, when you're 22 to 25 years old, you're not going to get any responsibility in the real world anyway, so get a law degree. And, you know, there was a (laughs) truth to that. And I see plenty of young people who do get a lot of responsibility, and maybe even more nowadays with technology and the fact that they understand things that older people often don't. But I think that there's a lot of truth to what you're saying, and, and that is this whole idea that, oh, we've got to rush through. Most of us are going to be working till we're 70. And so starting at 24 rather than 22 is meaningless.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think that's something as a society that we struggle with in almost every decision is getting stuck in the short-term outcomes as opposed to the long-term and not thinking about how the long-term is so much more impactful than the short-term.
1: That's the whole investment decision, right? <laughs> and You're investing in stocks and bonds, and we're talking about investing in education, but it's everything. And, and you know, that's, I think, part of our American society, as you said, and that is we want everything and we want it right now.
0: Yeah. Well, any last takeaway advice for either people not yet in college or in college now or recently graduated?
1: I guess my thoughts are just college is just the greatest experience ever, but you have to go into it in an informed way. You have to make sure you understand the financial consequences, what you're paying or what your parents are paying and and what you're going to make when you get out. And also, I think that you have to realize that employers aren't just coming and saying, oh, you went to school X, I'm going to hire you. Once you get into college, you have to continue to better yourself. You have to make your resume more and more impressive. The world's become continually becomes more impressive competitive and it doesn't end there. And I think for people who are out of college, I think that you have to think about that balance of how do you get out of this student debt as quickly as you can so that hopefully you can pursue the things that you want to. Because the one thing that I've seen over and over again with both my friends and with all the former students I see is that the people who are able to pursue what they're really passionate about, end up doing the best, whether best means they make the most difference in other people's lives or they make money if that's what they're searching for. But you have to be doing what you want. And to the extent that student debt holds you back from that, then that's a terrible set of handcuffs.
0: I think that comes back to productivity and motivation. You're going to be much more productive doing something that you enjoy and are motivated to do And you see that, I think, across the board, where people that are absolutely passionate about what they do just, like, pour their heart out into it. That's what gets you through the thick and difficult times where if you didn't care about it or you were only doing it for the money, where you would just give up.
1: Oh, absolutely. And one of the things, I look at how much I enjoy teaching as opposed to practicing law. And I always look back and I think, as a lawyer, I didn't want to compete with people who loved law.
0: Right? (laughs) I mean those people reading law all day and thinking about all day, all I was thinking
1: about was, what time can I leave the firm? Right. You know, I mean, that's not a way to be successful or happy.
0: Right. Yeah. And I think that's pretty much the important takeaway that I would take from this is just choosing to study something and do something that you can actually care about and be passionate about.
1: Absolutely. But you've also got to make sure It's easy to think I'll be happy doing this, but if you're being crushed by debt because you got the ability to do that by going to a really expensive school and it's a low paying job, I think that as you get older, that becomes harder.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, you definitely have to balance it with that too. Right. Well, did you have anything else? I think I'm good. Okay. Well, that pretty much wraps things up for us. So Sandy, I really want to thank you for coming on the show.
1: Well, I appreciate being invited. It's a lot of fun, Dallas.
0: And that's about it. So we'll catch you next time on another episode of the Post Money Plan Podcast.